Hello and welcome to the Global City Missions podcast, where we discuss contemporary issues in cross-cultural urban ministry. The podcast is hosted by Global City Mission Initiative. This is Seth Bouchel, GCMI's team leader in New York, and today we're going to be talking about things I wish I'd known when starting ministry. So last week I was doing a training on ethnography with a group of new missionaries in Harlem. And during a period of Q&A near the end, uh, one of the trainees asked me this question. He said, if you were in our position, what do you wish that you would have known? And it's a good question. Uh, I'm going to share with you in a second how I actually answered him. But it's a question that's been haunting me since then, uh, since he asked me that at the training. And I think if I could go back and answer it again, there are some other things that I wish I'd said. And so I want to share those with you as well. Uh, but first, here's what I told him. The first year that our team was working in the Bronx, we were primarily in the Bengali community uh, in the South Bronx, a mixed Hindu-Muslim community. And like you have to do anytime you enter into a new ministry uh, or a new community where you don't have any relationships, first you have to look for either inroads, which would be businesses or places where people spend time, uh, or access ministries. That's some program that you start that can generate relationships. And so we were doing both of these in the Bengali community. We were going to a lot of uh, restaurants and tea shops, trying to meet people. And then we were also offering a number of services as access ministries, including teaching English, helping tutor people for citizenship testing, uh, helping people with immigration issues and green cards, visas, things like that. And so uh, we'd been doing this ministry for probably nine or ten months, just trying to form relationships. And then out of these relationships, start spiritual conversations which uh, if this is the first episode you're in, we've talked about starting spiritual conversations in previous episodes of the podcast. You can find that on our website. So one day I was in the, the largest restaurant in the neighborhood, and I was speaking to the owner of this business, and he's probably one of the most influential people in the community, and his name is Muhammad. And so we started up a conversation, and I said, Muhammad, uh, I'm curious. I said, your kids are in public school, right? And he said, yeah, my kids are in public school. I said, uh, how do you make sure that your children learn the values that you want them to for your culture and for your faith when they spend so much time in American public schools? And again, referring back to previous episodes, uh, this is me just trying to start a normal conversation that then can open itself up to some spiritual content. And that's where I was hoping to take this. And Muhammad said to me this, he said, oh, this is very easy. He said, every day when my children come home from school, I ask them the same question. I say, what did your teacher tell you today? And they tell me everything that they learned at school. And then anything that I disagree with, I say, oh, yes, your teacher was very wise to say that. Let me add something. And so in this way, they can still honor their teacher, uh, but they know what the right thing is. And Muhammad's words sparked a big realization for our team. Uh, and let me explain why. Because we had just spent the last nine or ten months trying to start spiritual conversations in this neighborhood and try to share the gospel with our neighbors. And one of the most common reactions we got from people were things like, oh, that's very good. Uh, oh, you're very wise to say that. Thank you for saying that. And what Muhammad helped us to realize is that as long as we were in a position of power or authority, which even in our minds, though, we were serving by helping other people in these ways that were necessary, uh, teaching English, helping them with citizenship, helping people find jobs, helping people find apartments, as long as that was the way that we entered the community, uh, we were in a position of power and authority that people wanted to honor and affirm. 
And so by doing that, we were placing our neighbors in a position that made it extremely difficult for us to judge whether they were spiritually receptive. Because as long as we were helping them, uh, what could we expect except for them to not let us lose face? And so, of course, they would say things like, oh, this is very good. Thank you. Oh, you're very wise to say that. And so this realization about the way that we had misjudged uh, our own authority in the community, um, the way that we had misjudged coming in as teachers and how teachers are responded to naturally by the culture, uh, Muhammad helped us realize this. And so this is why we began to develop things like the Beatitude Evangelism strategy that we spoke about last time. Uh, this is why we started creating more inductive ways of going out sharing the gospel that took us out of the seat of authority so that we could get more straightforward responses from people as we share the gospel with them. So that was how I answered that question uh, of the missionary ethic training. And I've been thinking about my answers since then. I, and I stand by that. I do wish that I had known what Muhammad taught me from the beginning. I would have uh, spent a lot more productive time doing the initial evangelistic work in the Bengali community. But in reflecting on that question, what do I wish that I'd known if I was starting over? Uh, I've come up with an answer that hits a little closer to home. And so I'd like to talk about that now. So I planted my first church in the Bronx uh, about four months into my living in New York City. Uh, as all of our house churches do, it started as an evangelistic Bible study with about seven people. And within a year, that had grown to be five house church groups, all led by members of the initial Bible study. Uh, and this was in keeping with the strategy that we pursue with GCMI, uh, a strategy that's popularly, popularly known as disciple-making movements or church-planning movements, DMM, CPM. Uh, and the idea behind DMM is that we're not just trying to make disciples, we're trying to make disciple-makers. And that we're not just trying to plant churches, we're trying to plant churches that plant churches. And so this uh, rapid and uh, simple reproduction of church and of discipleship was exactly what we were looking for in the strategy, that I take a group of people and disciple them and plant a church, and then they disciple others and plant more churches. So on paper, this growth was good, and, and as a new missionary, I was really excited about it. Uh, but here's the problem. Although a lot of the evangelism that came out of this group happened organically, that people, as they learned about the gospel, were very naturally turning around and sharing it with others. The numerical growth of both people added to the churches and the number of groups growing, that was primarily driven by me. Uh, I was so eager to see the strategy begin to succeed that I began to prioritize the numerical growth of both disciples and church groups over the deeper spiritual formation and the maturation of my leaders. And so even though within a year uh, we had five churches that sprung from a single Bible study, within another nine months, three of those groups had, been, had imploded. And the other two were fighting like cats and dogs. And I spent most of my second year in the city putting out fires and having immediate conflicts that were primarily caused by my pushing people into positions of leadership that were more about affirming my own success and development as a mission strategist uh, than it was about pastorally caring for these churches and these new disciples. And there is a balance to strike here with missions. Um, you know, most missionaries historically have been guilty on the other side of not trusting their local leaders, not empowering indigeneity uh, in the growth of their church. But my mistake was the opposite. I was so eager to validate this new work 
that I drove the expansion of a church network faster than the maturity that was required to sustain it. And I think actually both of these mistakes stem from a common impulse that both never passing off leadership and always needing to be at the center of everything, but then also pushing growth too fast and not waiting for things to mature and develop. I think both of these stem from caring about the apparent success of the strategy more than you care about shepherding the real people that are in front of you as a minister. You know, there's a great Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote that gets thrown around a lot. And he says essentially that the minister that loves the church that they imagine more than the church that they've been called to serve is doomed to destroy the latter of the two. Uh, intellectually, I knew this going into ministry. I knew this quote. I heard it all the time uh, coming up through my seminary experience. But it didn't keep me from making some serious mistakes in that vein. Uh, I wish if I could start over that I had had the discipline and the self-awareness to see it in my own ministry that I was in love with the strategy that I'd come to pursue more than I was the people that I was discipling. And this was a humble teaching experience. Uh, and I'm glad to have learned this lesson. I'm a better minister for it. But still, if I was in the position of starting over, I wish I would have known better. And I bring this up because I think it's common in ministry strategies and especially with DMM and CPM that if we're not careful, uh, we enter the work with a love of our vision of how the work is going to go more than the people that God places in front of us. It's easy to become enamored with a strategy or a new methodology and kind of push the people, the real men and women that we've been called to serve to the side in the name of seeing the strategy succeed. Uh, because ministry is almost always going to go slower than we wish. And there's going to be a, a lot more messes going on in the churches that we actually plant than in the churches that we imagine planting. And so for those of us, and me especially, but for anyone doing, you know, quote-unquote pioneering mission work uh, or embracing new strategies and new methodologies in ministry, we need to be careful to remember that our methodologies are not the gospel. Uh, and we can't let our excitement about what we wish to see happen impair our pastoral judgment when it comes to making disciples and planting churches. So I hope that you can learn from our mistakes, and I hope that we here at GCMI continue to learn from our mistakes as we experiment uh, with pioneering and new things on the, on the frontier of urban missions. Uh, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Global City Missions podcast. Be sure and subscribe for more episodes and comment with your own stories of things you wish you knew when you'd started ministry. You can find out more about GCMI on our website at www.globalcitymission.org, or you can follow us on our Facebook and Twitter.